May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have entered the weeks of Lent where the lectionary leads us to read the Gospel of John, story after story of Jesus' encounter with particular people. And each time we are invited to wonder if there is something of that biblical character that lives inside of us, that names something true about us, so that their encounter with Jesus then can become our encounter with Jesus now. It is no accident that the Gospel of John places the story of the woman at the well right after the story of Nicodemus, which we read last week. The contrast is striking, and we are meant to notice it. Nicodemus is a person of power, a religious leader, a male insider, who comparatively has a good deal of control over his life, and he comes to see Jesus by night. The Samaritan is a person with little to no social power. She is a religious and political outsider, a woman whose identity or personhood is so overlooked, so ignored, that the biblical text doesn't even give her a name. And she encounters Jesus in the full light of day. In his ministry, Jesus relates to both contrasting figures offering each of them a path to new life. We are in the season of Lent, a time to reflect on our own lives, our weaknesses, our sin, as we prepare for the new life that Easter brings. And so it is tempting to read this passage about the woman at the well with a moralizing tone and assume that Jesus is calling her out for her sin. But isn't he instead acknowledging her woundedness, acknowledging the ways that she's been harmed. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five, and the one you are now with is not your husband. The woman responds, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. And later she testifies to her whole town. He told me everything I had ever done. I want to suggest that this story is not about the forgiveness of this woman's sin or the wiping away of her guilt, but is about the healing of her shame, the healing of her wounds. Perhaps we get to the heart of the story if we hear her words He told me everything I had ever done, more accurately as he knew me inside and out. He told me everything that has ever happened in my life. For the text never refers to a sin that she has committed. She is a woman in the ancient world whose survival depends on the men who have seemingly left her or cast her aside five times over. To ask if there is something of this biblical character that lives inside of us is to ask in what way we have been harmed by other people or forces beyond our control. It is to ask what wounds we have that need to be healed as we make our way towards Easter. 
My guess is that most of us don't see Lent as a time to attend to those places in us that need healing, to the harms that we have experienced that need to be brought into the full light of day. We tend to view Lent as a time of self-improvement, perhaps in the same vein as home improvement, trying to fix things about ourselves that are experiencing a little wear and tear. I'd like to be a little more patient this Lent, or a little more thoughtful, we might say. Our expectations not only tend to be small, but also tend to miss the heart of the matter. If we view Lent as a time of personal moral improvement, rather than a time in which God's Spirit is at work preparing for the total restoration of this world, of which my life is a part. I find this truth beautifully expressed in words from a Celtic prayer I often pray. O God, grant me the grace of the dawn's glory, grant me the strength of the sun's rays, that I may be well in my own soul and part of the world's healing this day that I may be well in my own soul and part of the world's healing. Of course, the flip side is that my unexamined wounds continue cycles of harm. I began to see this dynamic in my own life after becoming friends with incarcerated women. In a theology course I taught at the prison, we discussed Andrew Sung Park's book, The Wounded Heart of God, the Asian concept of Han, and the Christian doctrine of sin. Park argues that the Christian tradition has not done a very good job of helping us see the complexity of sin and harm. The traditional doctrine defines sin too narrowly as an intentional or willful act against God or other human beings. In turn, Christianity tends to speak of salvation too narrowly in terms of guilt, the forgiveness of my sin, rather than the broader Hebrew understanding found in the Old Testament, salvation as the holistic healing of our lives. Our liturgical prayers try to broaden our understanding of sin in some ways by including what we have done and what we have left undone. But these phrases still point to the harm that we are responsible for, without addressing the harm that's been done to us and its effect on how we live in the world. Park turns to the ancient concept of Han to supplement the Western doctrine of sin to paint a more comprehensive picture of the way sin works. Han is the woundedness that comes from being sinned against, the depth of suffering that many people across the globe and in our own society, experience, and often includes great abuse, exploitation, or deprivation. Han and sin are interrelated and have a cyclical effect. I am abused or injured, and so I injure. The one whom I have sinned against sins against another out of that wounded state that I have caused or that we as a society have caused or contributed to or failed to address. Jesus stops this cycle in the Samaritan woman's life by addressing her woundedness and by creating a scenario in which she is affirmed as a subject, an agent worthy to spread the gospel to an entire town, 
rather than an object to be exploited and passed over. Jesus acknowledges her harm, heals her wounds, and gives her new purpose in life. Those of us who are like Nicodemus, with a good deal of control over our lives, may feel uncomfortable speaking about the role our woundedness plays in our behavior. It smacks of a victim mentality and seems like an excuse for people to not take responsibility for their lives. But what I have learned from reading Park with incarcerated women is this. Most of us can't really see the cycles of harm we contribute to and therefore can't really take responsibility for our actions until we are honest about the ways we've been harmed. Listen to this insight from my friend Malika. In my state of experiencing Han, I was affected emotionally to where I committed a serious crime in 2002. Emotional abuse is far worse than physical abuse. My mother used to tell me that I would never amount to anything and my self-esteem was low. Years of emotional abuse that I can't put into essay format tortured me even after I committed my crime. I was so ashamed of my past and the things I'd done that I was in denial my first four years of incarceration. Until I realized and accepted how things affected me, I couldn't see or understand how they affected anyone else. The wounds in our lives may or may not be as severe as the Samaritan woman's or as Malika's, but Malika's insight is as true for you and me as it is for her. Until, until I realize how things affect me, I can't see or understand how my, my behavior affects anyone else. Until I face my woundedness, I'll live more like Nicodemus approaching Jesus under the hidden cover of the night than like the Samaritan woman who encounters Jesus in the full light of day, utterly exposing my wounds to his healing love. Two months ago, I was taking my ordination exams, spread out over three days. I was rocking them. I felt like a machine. Give me a pastoral scenario and I will give you a well-crafted thousand-word essay. It was the afternoon of the second day. I was beginning my fourth exam out of six. I read the question. I instantly knew how to answer it, and I was on my way, taking the exams in the comfort of my own home. Like Nicodemus, I knew how to be in control and set myself up for success. A few minutes into the exam, I heard overhead the sounds of my neighbor's housekeeping team at work the loud and constant noise of various machines scraping across the thin floor. Prepared for an unexpected interruption, I got out my white noisemaker and tried to concentrate again. But as the time ticked away and I struggled to focus, I got more and more anxious. Finally, I went upstairs. The next day, I got a text from my upstairs neighbor that I read with an accusatory tone. I just talked to my maid. She said, you let yourself into my condo and yelled at her for making noise. Is this true? First, I tried to hide under the cover of judgment. Your maid? How dehumanizing. I mouthed back as I read the text from this young bachelor. 
Then I tried to hunt to hide under the cover of good intentions as I reviewed what happened in my mind. I knocked on the door, but she couldn't hear because of the vacuum cleaner, so I cracked it open and tried to talk to her over the noise. But the truth is that I harmed this woman who was simply doing her job. For a moment, I lost it. And when I thought of my husband's loving words, you can be, uh, you can be more intense than you realize. <laughs> coupled, <laughs> coupled with the woundedness from which my anxiety came, I knew it was true. I was wounded by the denomination I grew up in that doesn't ordain women and set me on a vocational path that was so much harder than it should have been, and in some unconscious way led me to feel like I would never be able to live out my call. I was wounded by anxiety about success and by a Protestant work ethic that I've deeply internalized that says my worth is in my work. And these poor little exams came to symbolize all that, the entire entangled mess of my anxiety, pain, and struggle. He told me everything I had ever done. He knows me inside and out. What makes my behavior towards Alma, the housekeeper, so serious is not that it tainted my own moral purity. We all know clergy sin like anyone else. Apparently, we can even do so while taking ordination exams. No, the severity of my, interact- of my interaction with Alma is that I harmed another human being and that my actions likely participated in a cycle of harm. How many times before this had this Latina woman been confronted by a white woman like me who couldn't be bothered? He told me everything I had ever done. That truth That confidence led the Samaritan woman to action, to spread the good news to her townspeople. That truth led me to do the only thing I really could, the small, inadequate, but necessary act of telling this woman that I treated her badly and that I was sorry. Jesus knows our wounds. He knows the complicated cycles of sin and harm. And when we encounter him like the Samaritan woman in the full light of day, he heals our shame and sets us on a path to new life where we may be well in our own souls and part of the world's healing. Amen.